0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition
1: is on. Competition is on. Competition is
0: Gentlemen, another edition of Hard to Paint, and particularly here on Thursday, what we do is we go high and we go low with my man, Dino, the Dean Hanson. Dino, it's been a minute. I had to take a little step away, but now we are back and we have plenty to talk about.
1: My brother, that's all right. And you know, before you took your step away for a minute, I needed a step away right before that. So the timing was perfect, man. You know, it worked out well. And we've got a lot of uh, information and and uh, basketball aspects to cover here,
0: man. So, of course, the biggest thing to start with is the signing and the hiring of Stan Van Gundy as officially the seventh, but counting Jeff Bauer who coached for more than half a season. He's the eighth coach in franchise history. Um, this he, he really jumped to the forefront about nine days ago. That's when we started to hear that the, the process was beginning, that he had emerged as the leading candidate. Pelicans interviewed nine candidates in all for the position. Um, what was your initial reaction to this, the hiring? <laughs>
1: surprise shocked um taken back if you will because I think Stan's name became prevalent again during the bubble and his analysis because I don't think he was really on anybody's radar prior to that Dave I didn't hear his name anywhere I didn't see his name anywhere I hadn't even heard anybody mention that up until this bubble and, again, him giving insight to the games. I didn't think that was going to warrant him being looked at for various reasons, uh, which I'll definitely get into with you, of course. But even when it comes to those nine other candidates, the interesting part about it is did we ever really know who those supposed other nine candidates really were? Because the only name that we really got as other teams started to make their moves was Stan Van Gundy. So I really don't know of anybody else that they actually did interview. And to me, it seemed as if it was a lot of hearsay of who they were interviewing, but none of the people that was on my list, and and let me say this as well, and I posted this on Twitter, people need to get out of their personal feelings because I may not agree with the coach that they wanted. You know, first of all, everybody wants the Pelicans to be successful, but it doesn't mean that we all have to go in the same direction on which coach we all thought was going to be better suited for this basketball team. So I'm not upset if people wanted Stan Van Gundy and if they wanted, you know, his brother Jeff Van Gundy. I'm not bothered by it. Mm -hmm. I just felt like there were certain names that I thought would have been better for this basketball team. And the reason why I say that is when you look at Stan's record, no question he's gotten teams to the playoffs. He's gotten teams to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, but with that said, you have a Shaq and D-Wade, and you couldn't pull it off because and, – and, and I definitely want to differentiate the two for people to understand. You weren't able to get them over the hump, and a year later, Spolstra steps in and gets them the championship. You go down to Orlando, and you I, – have... I,
0: I I'm going to pause there because I'm going to say the, the – be the devil's advocate on that. Shaq was injured in those Eastern Conference finals that – in that first – that second year. Because the first year was 40. They went 42 and 40, beat the Hornets in the playoffs um, in seven games. Dwayne Wade's rookie year. Then the second year they went 59 – I mean 52. And Shaq was injured in the Eastern Conference finals. Wasn't himself. Shaq could have been MVP that season. Remember, he finished behind Steve Nash, but he was hurt in those Eastern Conference Finals and uh, really limited against. um, I think what what it was. uh, uh, Detroit went to the finals that year.
1: It was Detroit that went to the finals. Yes, they did.
0: So I think that that was a big impact. Now we 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 certainly will get into what Shaq said about him. That's absolutely. But I just wanted to make put that in the in the pot. True indeed. Okay. So,
1: but, but you still had the necessary talent, and I'll let you go into what Shaq called him, and most of us remember, but uh, I still feel like there was, there are certain guys who are going to get you there, but they just can't get you over the hump. Goes to Orlando, Dwight Howard, and I saw somebody getting upset because they were, again, with their own conjecture, that, well, Dwight Howard was soft, and I can't believe he won a championship. Okay, whether you believe it or not doesn't remit nor diminish the fact that Orlando made it there. And at that time, Dwight Howard was still one of the most dominant players in the game, and now after winning a ring in L.A., he's going to still be a Hall of Famer. So when you look at his numbers across the board, he's a Hall of Famer. I just feel like with the talent that he's had with the JJ Reddick, which is somebody I want to hear from specifically being that he's played for Stan before. I want to hear from JJ Reddick on his mindset. Uh, It didn't work out well in Miami. There was friction between him and Shaq. It didn't work out well in Orlando. There was friction between him and D Howard. It didn't work out well in Detroit because there was just friction all across the board, aside from him also trying to run things, from the front office. So with that being said, I also saw and read where Brandon Ingram said he wants to be coached hard. Now, with that being said, there is a difference between being harsh and coaching hard. So hopefully during this period, because Stan Van Gundy has come across as extremely harsh, not necessarily coaching up or coaching hard. So hopefully during this time with a young team like this, which is the reason why I've always politicked for a Sam Cassell, a Chauncey Billups, a Jerry Stackhouse, because I felt like there was more of a connectivity with a younger group of guys on this team who need to develop and who also need to understand their role him being 61 is not an issue because you got coach pop who's in his 70s. now granted that is greg popovich he gets a different level of uh you know of leeway if you will because it's coach pop you got terry stott who is in his 60s you got uh doc rivers who's in his about to be 60 years old so it's not as if you don't have guys in their 60s who are coaching in the nba that wasn't my concern at all it was just more of a is stan going to be able to relate to these super young early 20 year old guys
0: i don't i don't view that as an issue um you know i, I had a mix of my thing always has been characteristics I didn't care about names. You know, I had some people that were at the top of my list, and we talked about those. You know, I was partial yeah. to David Fisdale. Um, I was partial to Ime um, Udoka, who was being mentioned as maybe the, the top assistant on uh, Van Gundy's staff. Um, I think the, the things that we talked about that were most important were, were you going to hold these guys accountable, mm-hmm. be honest with them about what they can and cannot do, and coach them up from that, and then have a defensive principles and offensive flexibility. So yes. on those three points, here's what I'll say. Defensively, we know that the two things that Stan McGundy has is that he's been primarily eight of his 11 seasons as a head coach. His team's finished top 10 in defense. The Pelicans really only have to be top 15 next season. If they can get in the top 15, they should be a winning team with the amount of talent that they have. I think they can do higher than that if they reach their full potential based on whatever – if if the the bench in particular – and I'm going to get into a couple of guys that people are hammering me on for my thoughts who about the match with Van Gundy. But there was a podcast with that he did with Zach Lowe, and he talked extensively about the Pelicans. And in that he said for Lonzo Ball – like for each player, he talked about Lonzo Ball, he said – on, in the transition offense, Lonzo's a point guard. In the mm-hmm. half court, he'd like to see Lonzo used more as a small forward. You know, uh, where he, because Lonzo, he says the two things Lonzo doesn't do well, you, I, I think you would agree with this, is he doesn't have a pull-up game. No. And he does not finish at the rim.
1: Absolutely right.
0: So, he said, you know, Lonzo had an incredibly high catch-and-shoot percentage this season. You know, we don't want to see him shooting step back threes. We don't want to see him shooting tra- transition threes. But a catch-and-shoot, solid-footed Lonzo is a was a very good three-point shooter last season, if that carries over. So his thought was Lonzo as a ball mover on the in a half court rather than a dribbler and a penetrator, but as a connector, you know, keep facilitating, move the ball quickly, um, get it out of people's hands. Um, he liked that. And then with the ability of Lonzo to see things where he would be off the, the you know, off the middle of the court, rather having a drew or uh, a drew or Brandon Ingram in the middle where they can create off the dribble. Um, he said, uh, uh, for Zion, he talked about him. He said, Zion is not a ball stopper. He really likes that. He said defensively, you know, he has a long way to go. Um, with Brandon Ingram. His thing, again, was don't he doesn't want him to handle the ball as much but wants him to be a better playmaker and said that Ingram played, showed flashes of defensive brilliance when he was in L.A. And then last year that he didn't witness that. I think that there are a number of reasons for that for Brandon. And then lastly, he talked about um, that J.J. Redick, he feel, uh, obviously he has familiarity with J.J. And J.J. has said that he saved his career to an extent. Uh, Ray for Alston also was in NOLA.com today saying that Gundy was the reason that he had an NBA career. So, you know, but the one thing I wanted to see was somebody who had a plan who came in and said for this roster, this is exactly what I want to do. This is what I expect. So on that, I will give him a wait and see approach because my understanding for the people I've talked to is that that's exactly what he came in with. And that's what they were impressed with. Will it play out? I think you and I both agree there is no such thing as a perfect hire. You cannot predict how things will work out. But what this clearly is in my mind is that the Pelicans have decided they are trying to minimize what they view as a margin for error in trying to have an immediate winning impact because they know the clock is ticking on Zion Williamson.
1: Right. I agree with every point – that you've just made, no question. We know that they're going to play with a level of toughness and in the accountability level. And more importantly, guys knowing and understanding their roles is going to be essential as well. And that's where really good coaching is going to come in at, Dave. And you know this, a really good coach, knows how to tap into those weaknesses that you have in, in, in your game and have them be beneficial for you as well as the overall team. And that's the aspect, because let me say this, I feel like Lonzo could be a good point guard if instructed and directly and put in a position to be successful. I don't feel as if the Pelicans don't have playmakers. I think they had, and we talked about this, the Pelicans had players on the team that had good individual talent, but they didn't know how to come together cohesively as a unit that was going to be best for the team. And the structure, the accountability, the defense, those are actually all points that you and I discussed before we even said what a name should be. So, you know, we've discussed that from beginning to end. The only reason why I was big, of course, on Sam Cassell and the Chauncey Billups and the Stackhouse is because, again, I felt like with a Sam Cassell and Chauncey having to go through what they had to go Mm -hmm. through in the beginning of their careers, having one on the collegiate level, having one on the professional level, I thought there would be not only great coaches, given the experience that they had, but great mentors as well that the players would listen to more, having been in those same positions that they're in right now. Uh, Stack, having been in a position where he had developed players in the G League as well as in college and was a superior player himself, So that's the reason why I went there. I wasn't expecting, if you will, a retread with Stan. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, do I think it can work and be successful? Right now, at this stage of the game, we all have that high expectation and think it can, and hopefully it will. But we really won't know until the action comes to fruition. You know, yeah, we know that he's a – you know, 57% winning average as far as a coach. And I know some people want to disregard the Detroit aspect, but, you know, if that's the case, we can only, you know, if that's the case, we should only go ahead and, and count guys who had a winning record and eliminate all their losing records. It doesn't work that way. That's still part of who you are, you know. So do I want it to work? Of course. That's not even a, a question. Again, it's just more of a matter of, is he and the coaching staff going to get Zion to understand the importance of playing with the necessary energy and effort, Mm -hmm. the importance of Lonzo and the Alexander Walker, understanding that, listen, we don't need you guys to be our main threat. We need you guys to be X, Y, and Z of getting us into the flow and capitalizing off of when Brandon is not, you know, or when Brandon is being double teamed or being able to read defenses, being able to affect the game long-term. And more importantly, we saw it with Lonzo staying engaged.
0: Yes. And I, I, one of the things that, um, that I have said, and I, I think that the two players who are in for the biggest shock are Nikhil Alexander Walker and Jackson Hayes particularly Jackson Hayes. I don't think Jackson Hayes has ever been coached hard. Right. I don't think Jackson Hayes and people, you know, say, why are you giving up on a 19-year-old? I'm not giving up on a 19-year-old. What I'm thinking is the Pelicans do not have time to wait for Jackson to develop because I see him as a four- or five-year project because he has none of the fundamentals required defensively. And on the second part is that he does not have innate basketball IQ. He has a lot to learn. He needs a lot of reps. Now, if he adapts to what he's about to get, because there, he's not going to be allowed to retreat three steps when someone drives into the lane, understand Van Gundy. That will not happen. Right. He will not be allowed to foul at the rate that he fouls, understand Van Gundy. And Nikhil will not be allowed to turn the ball over the way that he does understand Van Gundy. Those are two things that he will preach and will demand. Um, So I think those two guys in particular had better get themselves ready because this is not going to be like year one where you got to be the toast of the town and people, you know, you came in off a summer league and everyone wanted to love them. Well, now the the demand is going to be for some production because Mm -hmm. we have no idea if the Pelicans will have a legitimate center in free agency. We have no idea if um, they're going to find a backup point guard in free agency. So if those guys are called upon to play 15 minutes a night, 20 minutes a night, then they better be prepared to play sound fundamental basketball. And of all the players on the team, I think those are the two who have the longest way to go.
1: Absolutely. And that's what it comes down to at the end of the day, which is something – that we have discussed for the longest time and we hadn't gotten was guys playing fundamentally sound basketball. Understanding what you do best doing those things and not going beyond that, you know? Um, From a defensive standpoint of simple footwork, from weak side defense, from rotations, from basically playing defense On a string, if you will, where everybody is not in a position where they're getting beat or they're reacting more of they're anticipating what's going on, which a lot of that comes from what? Film study. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times our guys didn't look like they studied film to understand opposing teams' weaknesses and strengths, understanding what that team does and what they're looking for the majority of the time. From an offensive standpoint, well, we know what's been hurting this team, the lack of ball movement, the stagnant offense, if you will, because the free-flowing offense that Alvin and the pace that Alvin was setting gave too much leeway to young guys that needed direction and instruction. Yep. you know, you, you know, you give leeway and freedom in a free-flowing offense – to veteran guys who are, you know, who have a high basketball IQ and understand that they don't need to be coached up every minute. The guys on the Pelicans team outside of JJ, outside of Drew, you know, those who have that veteran acumen, those other guys needed to be coached. They needed to be directed and instructed on what they needed to do. And because they weren't, that sent a lot, that created a lot of frustration amongst them individually, and that's why the team could never get where it was supposed to go. So we know that Stan Van Gundy is going to bring those necessary foundational elements that are needed for this Pelicans
0: basketball team going forward. Another guy who I think will have an adjustment is Drew Holiday. Um, Defensively, he's going to be asked to be a better team defender. And people say, well, what do you mean by Drew Holiday being a better team defender? And I say this, and I'll, I'll get your take on this. I think Drew Holiday, the best comparison that I would make to him from another sport is Darrell Revis. Darrell Revis is an, was an amazing, amazing cool corner.
1: one-on-one cover
0: guy, hands down. But if he had to play zone, he was done. It was, yes. it, that was not his strength. He, he could pl- lock down one dude. That's what he did. All pro at that. Took away the best receiver from many teams. But if you could force him in the zone, yes. he was done. That's what I think about Drew a lot. When Drew is focused on a Damian Lillard or on a Steph Curry, a Klay Thompson, whomever, Drew is, yes. Individually, there, is, there are a few players who can compare with him. But in a team scope, he's very quiet. He's not a talker on defense. Very, very quiet. And, and he can have lapses when the ball is not – with his man, we've seen it.
1: Yes, so that, he I fall asleep.
0: Yes. This is an adjustment for Drew that I, he will be asked not to be so much of an individual defender now, but I think he will be asked to be a better team defender uh, this season.
1: Agreed. And the one thing that you also mentioned in that about him not being a talker that's the other thing that Stan Van Gundy is going to demand as well. Guys who are talking and communicating. You know that Smoothie King Center is as quiet as a church mouse when the Pelicans are playing, to the point that we could be on opposite sides of court and hold a conversation because there is no communication whatsoever. Now, we know Stan is going to stand up and do a lot of the barking and a lot of the, uh, the, the, being boisterous and engaged. I mean, you know, he's a wild man on the sideline. That he is. You know, he was but, through that kilt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but now the ownership and onus is going to also be on the players to be more involved and more engaged in doing that now. So again, you know, I don't want anybody to, and if they do take it that way, that's their business. I don't care. But I wasn't saying that Stan didn't have a track record. I wasn't saying that Stan wasn't going to bring in the, the the fundamentals that were necessary. (laughs) Excuse me. The other thing I, you know, that, that came to mind is, you know, we all saw a lot of the tweets and posts that Stan was putting out here when it came to, social injustices and speaking up on behalf of women. And, you know, so we, everybody was totally on board. Well, I can't say everybody, cause let's not forget we're in a red state. Yes, So, yes. <laughs> you know, so that's gonna be an interesting dynamic as well. But that being said, we know that he speaks up. He has no problem letting you know how he feel. That's part of the Van Gundy uh, bloodline, I guess more than anything else, be it right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what they do. Additionally is the fact that we know he knows the X's and O's of the game. So that was never, ever any of my concern that he couldn't get that aspect done. Knows I know he can based upon his past, and I'm fine with the decision because of the main crux of what you and I have focused on and talked about is, the main crux is, is he going to hold guys accountable? Are they going to be disciplined? Are they going to have a certain culture where they, where they take it personally? Because we know Stan Van Gundy takes it Persons, personal, personally. exactly, with the loss. So the great thing about that is, you know that's going to be infectious, to the rest of the team. At least we hope that the players will also follow suit with that same mindset of what we've talked about, taking it personally when an offensive player is in front of you and making you feel like it doesn't matter what you do, they can still score up on you. Now you have a head coach who sets that tone. So that's the other aspect that I like about Stan is the fact that he's a tone setter. You know, he's going to let you know hey, if I'm coaching my hardest on the sideline, who are you not to be in the game playing at your hardest and your best for us to be successful? You know, you can't mope and sulk after a game when you didn't leave it all on the court. So mm-hmm. that level of accountability most certainly will be there.
0: And also, you know, one of the things about Alvin that was frustrating and was that he never – was direct about the shortcomings of certain players. Mm-hmm. And it's not – and I'm not talking about in the throwing people under the bus way.
1: Absolutely not. You, Absolutely not the blame
0: not. game. I'm not talking no. about blame and saying, well, he's the reason we lost tonight. What I'm saying is. is telling guys straight up, um, such and such has to rebound better. We can't have this kind of stuff, you know, or this team will not – continue to turn the ball over this or certain guys will not play. We didn't see that kind of either public accountability or private accountability in that manner. And the only way people understand that in basketball or football, whatever is minutes minutes. If I make errors over and over again, and I'm still getting minutes, there's no disincentive for me to not play the way I am playing because I'm still getting my minutes. So I'm thinking I must be doing something.
1: There's no repercussions to your lack thereof at any given time whatsoever. You would discuss what the issues were, but you would not do anything about it,
0: nor would they change. And nor would you be specific about what you were targeting. And I think with this group, he's going to say, this is what I expect from Drew this season. This is what I want out of JJ this season. This is what I want out of Lonzo this season. And so on and so forth. And we never got that from Alvin. And I think you see, yeah, go
1: ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I agree with that 110%, because what's some of the main things that we have talked about? Expectation level, and more importantly, who are we, what's our identity, what are we going to be? And when you set expectations, which is exactly what you're alluding to, again, you're not throwing anybody under the bus. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. It's just more of a matter of, Hey, you know, if you're my coach D grub, or if we're on the same, we're on the same court at the same time. If I'm not doing something when we're running high, low, it's your responsibility to be like Dino. Like, what are you doing? I need you to be over here. Not only stand holding guys accountable, but now you've got players holding each other accountable. I know I have to get X, Y, Z amount of rebounds every night. I know I need to do certain things every single night. And we never saw that in the past. So I'm with you, brother. So,
0: I mean, so those are the things then the, the next step becomes assembling the staff. If MAU Doka is the lead assistant, I'm good with that. Um, I'd like to see, you know, Sam Cassell is up for grabs now because it looks like Chauncey Billups is going to join Taron Liu in LA. So you do have a Sam Cassell out there, out there to be a lead assistant, which is, you know, I think would also be a great hire. Um, I don't think either Chris Finch or Jeff Bezdelic will be back. Uh, but I think you have to keep, uh, among the assistants, uh, why is his name slipping from my head right now? Fred. You know, uh, the sister coaches. is, uh, you know, my man, bald head, teaches his guys how to shoot. Why is, he, why is his name – I hate that I'm having to break. I just told you, Fred Vincent. Fred. Yeah, Freddie Vincent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think <laughs> Freddie's the only one that I think has to come back. Freddie's the only one on the staff that I believe you've got to retain because for some sake of continuity with these players, and we've seen that he must have a good rapport – with B.I., with Lonzo, with Zion to get them in the gym and work on the details of their game, you got to have that. I think you got to have one, and that's not a hire hire that is a threat to your leadership. You know what I'm saying? Freddie Vinson is no threat to your leadership. He's a specialist at this point, not ready to be a guy who starts ascending up the bench. So I think you keep a guy like that as a communicator, as a conduit, um, as you bring in this new staff, you already have one in JJ who knows who you are, knows how you talk and knows what you mean. But it's important to have, I think, somebody on the coaching staff too who can do that.
1: Totally correct in that. As far as Yudoko being the lead assistant, it wouldn't surprise me just, you know, with everything that is going on in Philly and the culture that he was accustomed to in San Antonio uh, to go to Philadelphia, you know, as well as I know that was uh, a dysfunctional whole concept that they had in Philadelphia. Let's not forget. There's a reason why Jimmy Butler left. There's a reason why JJ Redick left is because it was, it, it was, it was extremely bad there. So Yudoko, no question, you know, I've always been fond of him ever since he was in San Antonio. Hell, I had been wanting Yudoko ever since, you know, he was in San Antonio. So that that would be a great hire in my opinion. Um, As far as Sam, oh my God, of course. I mean, I love Sam Cassell. You know, I mean, Sam being here would just be another, you know, another notch of being that conduit, if you will, between Stan and
0: the players. Um, and could be so vital for a guy like Lonzo Ball in oh. saying, dude, confidence, you better have it at this position. If you going to lead a team, and who would know? Sam walked in the league with swagger. So as that's an so old sweet. rookie, twenty, he was 23, yeah. 24 years old coming into the league as a rookie.
1: Came <laughs> in and had
0: swag from day one. I'm not here to be messed with. Invented the greatest taunting gesture in NBA history <laughs> with the big nut walk, <laughs> <laughs> and won everywhere he was. Every, Every team and he played on, he won.
1: And that's the culture and the tone, which is why I loved Sam so much is because everywhere he's gone, he has won and he had to work for it. You know what I mean? Like It wasn't given to him. Like you said, him coming into the league late when he did and he came into the league with this mindset, man, I'm here because I belong here. End of story. Whether you think I belong here or not, I don't care. Whether you think I'm good enough or not, I'm going to prove it to you. And that's what he's been doing his whole life. So he's always had this chip on his shoulder and yet been extremely successful at it, which is the reason why, you know, Sam I M has always been my guy, man. And he's been around a team like the Clippers. He's been around Doc forever. So he understands what it takes to get to that next level. Now, some people might be like, yeah, well, it takes to get to the next level. Why the Clippers didn't do what they're supposed to do. There's many a reasons why. It ain't Sam. Know, but, it wasn't yeah, Sam. It definitely was not Sam Cassell. All right. Far from that. Cause I guarantee you Sam Cassell knowing what I know about Sam, Sam Cassell would have no problem jumping on anybody in regards to what it would take, you know? So uh, yeah, I mean, those would be great choices. And of course, Fred, you know, that would be a great uh, mix in between for building that chemistry withstand for him to better understand the players personalities here on this team. And he's done a fantastic job with Lonzo on his shot. So yeah, I mean, I think Fred is a very good assistant basketball coach, but outside of that. Yeah. I mean, changes has to be made though.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the other parts of this that, that we need to talk about and you talked about Stan's involvement in social media and um, discussing racial injustice, um, being vocal about his uh, liberal leadings. Mm-hmm. And then we also know that Gail Benson has donated only to the Republican Party. Yes, sir. And somehow found herself named to the NBA's committee that deals with these issues. I don't understand that at all. Makes no sense considering her track record for her to be on that council. Um, my thing is this: Gail don't care what Stan Van Gundy says if he wins. Nobody, she ain't gonna say a word because she's still the billionaire. She's mm-hmm. gonna pay him whatever the amount is, and I would imagine it's somewhere in the realm of six, seven, eight million dollars per season at their plant paying Stan. But she ain't gonna worry about that. She has no concern, because I firmly believe, and I want to get your thoughts on this, that since the bubble has burst, that the NBA is going to go right back to business as usual, that there will not be any Black Lives Matter signs on the courts next season, that there will not be anything on the back of anybody's jerseys, that there will not be any discussion of any of this unless it's led by players. The league itself is going to, Get swept up in the wave of normalism, and this is why it doesn't matter that Stan Van Gundy. If, if you know it, it, it's important for him to say these things. But I think, as far as affecting the state of Louisiana, man, that that ain't gonna happen.
1: It's not going to impact anything in the state of Louisiana, and even with the bubble having come to. A close we saw it already happening even before the bubble got to the point where it was closing up we saw how it was no longer becoming a concern you remember initially they would show the national anthem being played and show the players kneeling well it went to let's go ahead and make a video and not show the players kneeling during the national anthem you know so they got back to business and status quo towards the last part of the bubble. Anyway, I would say the last three to four weeks, it was no longer a major focal point. Now, no question. They were a lot of commercials that were done and there was more engagement from that standpoint, but you know, it's Gail Benson wants to win. The city wants to win and we we know you can have an opinion, as Stan will have an opinion, but you're right. Come next season, this is just going to be another blip, and they'll get back to business as usual.
0: Yep, and uh, I, I think I would love to have at least heard if the if this even came up, if if he's going to be able to tweet as he does, because Alvin was a non-presence on social media. Yeah, not at all.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I wonder if he if this is the end of it for him. Because mm-hmm. I mean, he's not. It's a different space. So will he continue to talk about these things, or will it simply be like it is with more of Popovich or with Kerr, where it's limited to if you bring it up during a press conference?
1: Right. Well, one thing about it, we're definitely going to see here in these next coming days if he's tweeting anything. You know, I mean, we're going to see very quickly before we even get to the next upcoming season. Like, we're going to see very shortly. You know, uh, he's been on there daily, and I believe that's going to change as well. Like, that's – I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if that's also part of an understanding, even though it may not be a written part of the contract, because you can't control someone in that manner, but kind of get to an understanding of, you know, let's kind of – uh play the middle of the road, so to speak, if we can, you know, we're not stifling you, but we want you to coach our basketball team, you know, like make that the focus being honest.
0: Yeah, I, I think that is. And the one thing that I also, you know, you come away with is that you look at the West now mm. and My gosh, is there, there is, as of Today, before the draft even happens, and we're not that far away from the draft, November 18th, um, As we, before the draft, I would say that every team in the West will go into it believing they have an opportunity to make the playoffs. All 15 teams in the West, based on the way the season ended, um, the teams that didn't make it this year, the Pelicans certainly believe they can make it, uh, Memphis thinks that they can make it. Sacramento closed strong. They think they can make it. You got eight, no finish for Phoenix. They think they can make it if DeAndre Ayton is there for a whole season. So certainly, I mean, there's nobody in the West that's going to completely fall off. San Antonio is not going to be dead in the water. They may not, you know, there's not going to be, I don't think there's going to be Golden State is going to be back to at least 40 to 45 wins uh, next season. So you talk about it, the, the margin for error to make the playoffs. You've got to be a 44, 45 win team to even smell the eighth spot next season.
1: And Dave, that's the crazy thing about it. You know, you mentioned, uh, let's take a quick recap and look at those seams that were part of the playoffs. That being... The Lakers, of course, the Clippers, the Nuggets, Houston, OKC. Now, we know Houston, they're going to have some changes and some tweaks, but they're still going to be James Harden and Houston, and they're still going to get wins, OK? OKC, and if they and if they keep CP3 and what they did there. Utah is always in the fight, as, as typical. Let's not forget the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic. Let's not forget the Portland Trailblazers with Dame and CJ. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, John ja Morant has that Sam Cassell swagger, if you will. The Phoenix Suns with the healthy DeAndre Ayton and making Monty's job really easy going into next season because of what he was able to get those guys to understand uh, going eight in a row. San Antonio is always San Antonio is going to compete. Golden State will be back. So with that being said, the the only three teams that are left to try to compete and get up in there is a Sacramento is the Pelicans in Minnesota. Other than that, bro, everybody of all those teams in the West have a legitimate shot at being in the top eight. That's insane, bro. That is insane. The level of competition there is on the West you know, in, in the Western conference. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's that much fun to me, on the West,
0: there won't be a night where you could say we could circle that as a win. There and and the Pelicans can't do that anyway. They're in no position to be doing anything like that anyway. But there certainly won't be nights where you just walk in and say, "Oh, we got this." Now you better beat up on the bottom feeders in the East, and that's been yes. the Pelicans' problem as well. They've lost a lot of games to bottom feeders. Over the years, teams that they should have beaten, teams that they, especially Orlando, for some reason, I don't understand why they they're so terrible against the Orlando. They management. have
1: a tough time with them, yeah.
0: But that, you know, all those things come with intelligence. I think people who are worried about pace, I'm not worried about pace. Pace is something that happens when you play effective basketball. Would your coach tell you? And I guess I would bet you, mine told me the same. You can't run if you don't rebound.
1: You can't, there you go.
0: You can't run there if you, if you, you don't go. rebound. There you go. <laughs> And it's that's what the that Pelicans didn't do. They didn't close possessions. They gave up points in the paint, too many points in the paint. So those things, if you close those, you'll still be able to run. If you yes. stop people from finishing at the rim, stop them from getting to the free throw line, and you can rebound and close out possessions, you will still run. That's without having to only- leak out.
1: That's the only way. And then, Dave, here's the other component of that. The same way my coaches told me, they would tell you. But Dave and Dino, it also doesn't mean just do it one time and because it worked, now you can get lax. No, it means you have to do this consistently now, okay? Don't get satisfied because you did it once and it worked when you rebound or you stopped opposing teams and you were able to get out and run. You have to do this consistently, and that's the part that is going to impact the direction the Pelicans go. They have to have good habits and stick with those things that work. We've seen a day where there'd be times that ball would move around that horn and you'd get the easiest shot at the rim like it was nothing. Then you come down the next three, four times, and they are clueless as to what it takes in order to get easy buckets. And you're like, you just did it. Like, you just came down and did this. You got the outcome that you wanted, and then you revert back to old, bad habits. So that level of, of the, the consistency and being able to execute down the stretch, again, is going to bode well if the Pelicans – because listen, we know the Pels have talent. Yes, that's not a question. We know they have talent. We know Brandon Ingram, nobody expected him to take off the way he did. We knew he was skilled, but at the level in which he played, he even had a certain swag about him this past season being him. He had this mindset of, you can't get at me. Like, I will give it to you however I want. That's the mindset and attitude that you need to have. So we know that they have talent. It's just a matter of putting it together regularly and on a consistent nightly basis, because we've all been befuddled wondering what are they doing?
0: (laughs) That has always been the question. Um. (laughs) I want to, I want to reflect on the NBA finals because we didn't get to talk about them as as they ended. Mm -hmm. Um, A, we did talk about this before it ended where, I thought that this was would be the worst Lakers team to win a championship. I still believe that. Um, <laughs> considering the fact that they played against the 5th seed from the East, a team that in Miami really didn't shouldn't have been there based on what they are. But let me and, say this though. Hold on, let me let me, let me finish this first and then cuz I know you got I know what you're going to say. Uh, well, I know what you <laughs> But I know where you're going. <laughs> and the loss, I think the people will not discuss enough the loss of Goran Dragic. Because outside of game one, these were all very close ball games. And the fact that Miami had to put the ball in the hands of Tyler Harrow as the initiator of the offense so often, where you took a Dragic off who had been their leading scorer throughout the playoffs, a phenomenal three-point shooter, and a guy who could get in the lane, which Miami struggled to do against LA. His loss, I think, was the most – the losing him was the most decisive wild card in the finals.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Huge. Significant. It was their backbone. It was their quarterback. It was him getting them into their offensive rotations, but more importantly, defensively, he covered up a lot of their weaknesses. People have underestimated the dragon, but, man, one thing about the guy – He's consistent, and I love his play. You see, if Lonzo or Nikhil can come in and play that way or some semblance of that, now you're working with a basketball team in the right way. Because one thing about the Dragon, he could finish at the rim.
0: Mm -hmm. He,
1: He never, ever made the game hard on himself nor his teammates. He also was able to knock down shots when left wide open. If Nikhil and Lonzo can pick up some of those same traits, dude, you are moving in the right direction. Now, what I was going to say is, granted, the Lakers did play against the number five seed in the East. But that's no fault of their own. because, No, no. because, Because let me tell you something. If one through four didn't like it, you had your chances, but you didn't show up. So credit has to be given to, and let me tell you, if people don't realize how great of a coach Eric Spolstra is by now, they are oblivious to the game of basketball because coach Spo did a phenomenal job. That's just like when you heard people say, and I know you saw it as well. Well, you know, if the Lakers would have played the Clippers, they wouldn't have won. Well, had the Clippers handled their business, we would have been able to see that. So don't punish the team, you know, who beat up on whoever it was that made it there because you didn't do your part. If you wanted to play us so bad, do what you got to do and win your games because we're going to do what we had to do. And it's it's really just that cut and dry. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat a damn thing about it. If the Clippers wanted the Lakers that bad, you had your shot to beat teams and you did not do it. But, Dave, if you remember the last time we did high-low, on Harden the Paint. Mm-hmm. We discussed the fact of the dissension that was on the Clippers basketball team because of Kawhi taking games off. And we mm-hmm. discussed this. You can take a practice off. Every guy is fine with the practice. But you don't miss games, dude. You don't miss that level of competition. And you can see it. And sure enough, what has come out once the season ended Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, they all had voiced their concerns about what? The level of, not just the level of chemistry, but there being this entitlement, if you will, Mm -hmm. that was afforded to Kawhi and Paul George. And Dave, we've talked about it until we are red and blue in the face. I don't care what level it's at. Players take it personally. Why are you continuously giving this guy all the leeway in the world, but yet you have no problem coming from my neck? Dude, there has to be a level of accountability that goes all the way. And I knew the dissension. You could see it. You saw, remember we talked about it. Now all of a sudden Patrick Beverly is a jump shooter. Wait, what? He became a jump shooter and started taking shots from anywhere he could because he figured, well, hey, if they can do it, I'm going to start doing it too. Lou Wills started taking bad shots and making bad decisions. Montrez Harold decided all of a sudden he's this amazing offensive dominant player. And that was all predicated on Doc not addressing anything and allowing too much freedom. And again, we know Kawhi is our superstar. We know that he is the guy whose back. We're going to ride. But also if we're riding his back, and he's that superstar. Why are you taking games off, man?
0: Yeah, because like, look, the, if if to drive a Montrez Harrell and a Lou look Lou Williams played with Allen Iverson. Yes. Montrez Harrell and uh, Patrick Beverly played with James Harden. Mm-hmm. If they are talking about entitlement in the Clippers, man, it's got to be bad. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Because <laughs> you can, Philly bent, in, bent over to make sure A.I. was cool up until, you know, they were ready to move on. But there was no mm-hmm. question that A.I. had some leeway in Philly. There ain't no question that James Harden runs the building in Houston. But if it's but, if speaking out about – that they play every game. Like you said, they, A.I., if, no matter what, was going to play. Hey, bro, we talking about Practice? Practice?
1: Man, but I'm going to show up for every game, though. And it's the truth.
0: AI wasn't taking no games off, dude. It's competition. And people forget that the reason they they missed a lot of practice is because dude could not walk. Like, he's 165 pounds. And he's being abused. (laughs) Like, they did those commercials about Dwayne Wade eight times down, nine times up. Alan obviously, it'd be like 12 times, 15 times. And, and again, throwing that little body around. And dude said it. I, I mean, you know, you saw the um, all the Smoke podcast. And he told him, dudes, he said there'd be mornings where his wife would say, you can't do this today. And he'd be like, I got to go play. I got to go play. And that's
1: the thing about it, Dave. As a player, you are giving your all. As a player, I'm giving my all. You don't think, how about this? You don't think my body is just as broken up as yours, Kawhi? David Grubb, you don't think David Grubb's body is just as broken up as Paul George? We're all broken up once the season starts. But it don't mean that you and I are taking games off. No, it just means that during practice, we might not do every drill. But when it comes to going over team cohesiveness, yeah, we're involved in it. When it comes to maybe getting out of practice a little earlier to get treatment, yeah, we're doing that. If it comes to missing practice or better yet, even if I'm not participating in practice, I'm still on the sideline with my guys, bro. That cohe people don't understand the importance of cohesiveness on your basketball team and not making your players, not just basketball, but any team not making your players feel alienated, man. And you could Dave, You know, we talk about this all the time, the body language, the body language, forget just the basketball aspect of it. And you and I talked about it. We could see the Clippers body language was totally off. It was as if nobody got along with anybody because they felt the tension that was there. Guys had issues with it. Like, hold on. That's great, Kawhi, but bruh. Me and Dave busting our behinds out here every day, too, man. But we're still showing up for game time. We're not taking games off. Where's your level of competition at, man? And you can see it, Dave. That's why they look disjointed. That's why it's so funny to hear everybody talk about, well, they didn't have the necessary uh, 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 time together. They didn't have the necessary uh, cohesiveness. Well, you can't have that if you got guys that are taking off games.
0: But how can – yeah, and you can't – but the, if you're the, the Clippers, you can't use that excuse when you look across town. And the Clippers had more returning players than the Lakers did. Oh,
1: the Lakers had a bunch of new faces that they were putting so, in together. So but LeBron
0: – Major roles – in major roles, and especially in the postseason, where they lose Avery Bradley, who whatever you think of Avery Bradley, I think he's a little bit overrated, but at the same time, I do as well. I do as well. He was, he was an important member of that team, that and at a position of need. So you got they pick up J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters, who don't see the court in the finals, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, So you're playing with a shorthanded team, a team that had a major overhaul, of course, in the Anthony Davis deal, and all these things happened. So the Clippers can't use that. They can't say it as an excuse and say, well, it didn't match up. Because these are the guys specifically that asked to play with each other. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Even, look, people say it takes time. Well, first year for Miami, no, they didn't win the title, but they got to the finals. They got to the finals. And you see – that's another point that
1: you and I have always talked first about. First year, KG G
0: and them got together in Boston,
1: win a title. I don't buy into this, well, it's our first year together and it's going to take time. Man, miss me with all of that. Miss me with all of that. Because we've seen time and time again where teams come together for the first time and they roll. They play well together. They make it a point to want to understand each other. They make it a point to make sure that they are doing what is necessary to build that team the right way. And you're right. LeBron, after 17 years, you didn't hear him talk about taking some games off. He played every game this year. Played every single game. Now, we know he missed practices. We know this because of little tweaks here or there. We know that AD as well. We know certain players on that team got out of practice early, were allowed to not, but again... Dave, you gel when you play together as a team on the same court. And the Clips did not do that. So I can't take anything away from the Lakers. Yes, it may have been their least talented championship team, but you had guys like Dwight Howard who bought into their role. You had guys like JaVale McGee who bought into his role. I think a lot of credit also has to be given to Frank Vogel for him being able to keep the guys together. But he also did a fantastic job adjusting on the fly as well. Because, listen, you and I – because you and I talk about this forever, and that's why we do high and low on Thursday. We love bigs. We like bigs. Mm -hmm. We feel like – listen, if with me and you being 6'4", 6'5", if we got seven footers on our squad, I don't care what that other team is doing small ball – You're going to play the way that we want to play. So what we're going to do is, me and Dave got two seven-footers. We're going to punish y'all to make y'all follow us all game long. We're going to the free throws. We're going to make you play the way that we want to play. We're not going to play your style of ball. Not that we can't. But we just feel like it's going to work better in our favor. And Frank Vogel made some fantastic adjustments on when deciding to play Dwight Howard over JaVel McGee when it came to playing the, 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 you know, against the Joker. Games when JaVale McGee did play, everybody bought into it. But again, here's the difference. You saw that cohesiveness with the Lakers basketball team. And people could say, oh, well, it's easy to do when you got LeBron James. If anything, it's harder to do. People underestimate the fact of when you have superstars on your team, how difficult it is to have them buy in to each other still and not make it about me, 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 me. Yeah, and the and- Lakers.
0: Yeah, go ahead. And 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 of course it's it's an adjustment to play with LeBron because you are in a lot of ways at his mercy because he's going to have the ball the most. Yeah, and it's not it's not an egalitarian system. There are mm-hmm. really only two ball handlers for the Lakers on most possessions. It's either LeBron or Rondo. And, that's and what speaking about. of which, and you better get that. Yeah, I, I gotta give Rondo his props. <laughs> Dave, Dave, bro,
1: people don't understand when Rajon was down here, how much we used to talk about Rajon Rondo and his greatness as a point coach—not just a point guard, but a point coach. You want to talk about being a playoff Rondo because that playoff PG, that playoff Paul PG thirteen is irrelevant. Like miss, like stop all that. Playoff Rondo shows you what it is, man. But you remember this too. You remember after the Pelicans made the playoffs, the first person that LeBron James called to join his team was who? Rajon Rondo. And what people don't remember is Rajon Rondo and LeBron James did not get along at all, ever. They did not like each other. All of a sudden, Rajon Rondo goes to L.A., and one of the first things you and I talked about I said, dude, the Lakers are about to win the championship just because of Rajon Rondo. And we also <laughs> knew,
0: look, the genius of it was too is, and this will always be the story, and people hammered when we talked about this the first time. They didn't want to believe that that was a huge domino in A.D. deciding to leave. That because was it. for the one time in his career, there was a leader, and he wants to be led. And, 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 and it is not a knock on Anthony A knock. It,
1: oh is my a gosh. it is just a fact. It is just
0: a fact. He wants exactly. to be led. The man said, I will pl- follow LeBron for six or seven more years. He's telling you. And you have to listen when somebody tells you who they are. He is one of the most talented players you will ever see in your lifetime. But at the same time, he wants to be one of the guys. He likes being one of the guys. He's not the leader of your franchise. That's why he is with Rondo. That's why he is with LeBron, because he finally found people who would tell him exactly what to do. And, day, here's the other thing about it. I mean, think about it. The
1: Lakers had Rajon and AD the same way the Pelicans had Rajon and AD. It's just that we also had a Drew Holiday to add to it. So when you look at those three outside of LeBron, our three of Rajon, Drew, and AD was better than what the Lakers had. And when people, like you said, it is not a knock, excuse me on ad that he doesn't want to be a leader that matter of fact if anything it works out better for lebron and the lakers and here's the reason why when lebron was in cleveland what did he have to do compete with well he didn't have to compete but his sidekick that being kyrie irvin was in competition with lebron to be the leader ad on the other hand ain't trying to compete with LeBron and is perfectly happy being that guy who follows LeBron. LeBron enjoys and is perfectly happy being that leader. There was never that question of, are they trying to take over the game? Are they trying to lead me? No, it was a matter of they bought into their roles. Even when Rajon would come off the bench, you saw it in games where LeBron would ask for the ball or say something, and Rondo would wave him off and tell him to go somewhere else. Bro, that is what it takes to win in this league when you have guys that buy in. And Rajon Rondo brings that element everywhere he goes. Remember in Chicago, before he got
0: hurt, the Bulls were up. Yep. And Bro. why didn't it work there? It wasn't about his play. The, the one place I say the clash with Rick Carlisle is because personalities. And that's why Rondo didn't get along with Doc, is that you ain't going to be yelling at Rondo. He ain't here for that. And nope. that's why he didn't get along in Chicago with Jim Boylan and the people up there. You don't Especially up- when – he knows more basketball than Jim yeah. boy. <laughs> and so he's going to look at you and, that's you know, he's going to look at you and say, you ain't going to be yelling at me. Remember, you know, like Alvin, and I'm, I, can t- I think I can tell this story now. Yeah. Doc, when he had Rondo in Boston, is doing a film session after a game. And he's pointing out mistakes that Rondo made. Rondo turns his chair around, faces the other direction.
1: Faces the other direction, yes. <laughs> and
0: – Doc is like, turn, turn around. You, you know, you ain't different. You better turn around. We got We talking about what your responsibilities are. And he told Doc in no uncertain terms, "Don't be calling me out. Don't single me out. I'm not having that." Doc went back to doing what he was doing. And from all, I, from what I have understood, Rondo threw a Coke can into the TV, smashing yes. it. Yes, And said, I'm out and went on. Yep. Ask the dude that you're dealing with. Now, <laughs> if you let him be and you act as you say, I understand because he's going to do stuff. He's going to sit over in the middle of the court sometimes, you know, on the Right. Field. he's going to go and walk off. He's going to tell you he might kick your ass. But at the end of the day, the man is there to make your job easier if you let him, but you need let to have you. defenders around him. You need to have smart ball players around him. And you need to have people who do not get their feelings hurt easy.
1: And that's exactly it. That's exactly it, bro. Because look who he was
0: raised with.
1: KG, KG, Paul Paul Pierce, Pierce, and Ray Allen. Ray Allen. Come on, man. Extremely dominant
0: personalities, man. So you're not going to – Rondo is not intimidated by LeBron. And you've seen again. That's what we talking about. You've seen him tell LeBron no and clear LeBron out. Like man, get out of the way, move. No,
1: no, bruh. That's what and that's what I love about Rajon, man. I've always loved about him, and people don't understand, dude. His IQ is so damn high until it is ridiculous. The dude is a basketball savant. He just is.
0: It's very he just simple. is. Now for AD's place in history, I wrote this they're like, look, this is the validation that comes with a championship. Now the 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 question becomes can he ascend to a different level, become an MVP? I am not ever sure that he can win an MVP because there will be players who are the leader. Right. And that's common. Right, you see, like you see on the horizon, I see an MVP for Luka Dodgic in the future. Giannis ain't going nowhere, you know. He's still only 25 himself, he could win two more MVPs, three more MVPs in his career if he finds the right situation and wins a couple titles. You know, Joel Embiid, if he ever woke up, could be an MVP, but I doubt that ever happens. But there are players out there that we know are going to be right in the mix for the next five to seven years, which was is going to be the remainder of Anthony's peak. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he has gotten the validation of being a champion, but I think people need to be careful going forward with trying to put him in a context that he's not.
1: Dave, and that's okay. And I think AD is fine with that because, again, just as you alluded to, there's going to always be those players on other teams who carry that load and burden, so to speak, if you will, with that alpha male mentality. In Portland, the CJs – well, not the CJs, but the Dame Lillards. In Memphis, the Ja Morant. Um, uh, in Utah, the Spider Mitchell. You know, uh, just like you mentioned about Giannis. There are just those guys that have those personalities that are going to always be in there. AD is going to have to do something that would be a consistent standout in order for him to be mentioned in that. Now, no question. His name is going to always be mentioned in that MVP realm, but winning it takes a different level or edge, if you will.
0: It's why certain guys finish in the top five a lot. But just don't get it. And I think that's why Kawhi, you know, Kawhi Leonard will not win an MVP award in his career. It mm-hmm. just won't happen because he will never be viewed as the driving force. Right. Because even in Toronto, you would say that was Kyle oh, wow. team. There you and go. the second guy on that team was Fred Van Vliet, as far as energy goes and, and mm-hmm. being the guy who's got everybody going. That right. is, Kawhi is an assassin, he does his thing. And he expects you to, to lift up to his level, but he's never going to be the guy who, who brings you along.
1: Right. Right. And that's just what it is. And, and again, you know, people shouldn't take offense to that. Like we're not knocking anybody. That's just what it is.
0: It is what it is. Um, we have not yet had the press conference for Stan. So that should be soon. We'll get our first chance to talk to him soon. I'm looking forward to that. I got a lot of questions. Uh, But as of right now, and we'll close on this, how do you feel about this Pelicans group? Do you think that maturity-wise, that physically, mentally, that this next season will see the type of development that you want to see? Or do you think that this, you know, that this is still a fragile chemistry experiment? Who, man. You know, that's really,
1: that's really tough. Given where we are right now at this particular juncture, given the way they ended and exactly what could be going forward if bought into, you know, it all sounds great and it looks great on paper right now, but does it come to fruition and does it matriculate? I I feel like this. I don't see it as being an experimental project anymore. I most certainly see it now of it being contextualized, all of it finally coming to play because you've got better direction, at least we hope. We, you know, you've got better direction with Stan, and you've got guys who will hopefully buy into and understand their roles better, and that's what it's all going to come down to: is late game decision making, the necessary energy that you need to close out quarters, being engaged, and not making bonehead decisions valuing possessions you know so it's going to come down to all those things that we've talked about can they put it all together that's the main question for me again we have discussed this we know Brandon Ingram can ball we know Lonzo has the potential we know that Zion ceiling is extremely high but will he elevate himself to that and play hard all the time You know, those are the questions that we have, just like you mentioned earlier when it comes to Drew. Yeah, that's great that you're a great one-on-one on-ball defender, but what about are you making the team defense better? You know, that to me, and and it's always been hard for me to project those type of things. You know, even when it comes to people saying – well, you know, when you look at next NBA season, this, t- this team is projected to be number one. This team is – doing. It. how do you know? No trades have been made. Mm-hmm. You haven't gone through free agency. Like you've not have any pieces of anything that's moved around yet. Now, again, I will say this. The upside, if the Pels buy into it, can be huge. It's just a matter of will they and can they? I'll tell you somebody else, if he does stay, and from the sounds of it, it sounds like he will, if J.J. stays and Stan gives him some room to also instruct more and guide more, that would be a huge bonus for this basketball team. Not to supersede Stan or the coaches, but Dave, you know, you still always need that one player who has a voice. And that'll that'll be JJ. That'll be, exactly. That'll be JJ. Even when it comes to the plays and getting guys during practices to understand where and why they need to be here during practices and when they're going over plays, having that voice is going to be significant for this basketball team. Or when Stan does get irate, because listen, you can't, change a person, especially when they're 61 years old. Stan's going to get irate at practice. This is what he does. Having a JJ being able to temper the guys to not take it personally, that's going to factor in extremely important for this basketball team as well. Can the Pelicans – let me say this. Do the Pelicans have what it takes to be a mid-level competitive playoff team? Yes, they do. Can they, and will they do what it takes in order to be that though?
0: That's the question. And I, I think, you know, the other thing that people ask is if there's going to be a trade for, of Drew Holiday and JJ Reddick, I don't see that happening before the trade deadline because yes. I think for the intent, when you, when you hire Stan Van Gundy, you're telling him, I want you to work with the pieces I got. This is why we brought this team together in the first place. I didn't get the results I wanted last year under Alvin. I want to see what you can do with it before I throw these guys away. Mm-hmm. So I, that, oh. the trades are dead. Trades are dead. you go see it on the back end. I think you could see, you know, Etuan or, you know, Etwan's a free agent. But, um, you know, I think you could see maybe some back end parts if there's something becomes available. But there's just not a lot out there right now.
1: And that's the other thing. It's just like the NBA draft coming up. There's just no big name that stands out that makes you uh, think that somebody's going to have that kind of impact right now. There just isn't. And that's exactly what you were saying. When it comes to trading pieces and so on, I, I really believe this. You have to give what you have a chance under better direction now to make a determining decision later on. You have to. Because, again, you have the pieces. But we both know they most certainly cannot get off to the usual Pelican start at the season. That can't happen. That can't happen. Because let me tell you, if that happens understand Van Gundy's regime, okay, it's definitely no longer about just the coaches. It's the players who have a mental block for some reason and they're not doing what is necessary. And I don't mean just Being in the game, oh, man, we almost had that one. And then eight games later, you're one in six, you know, or should I say, you're one in seven. You know, you can't – but, man, you know, we've been so close. Being close and coming out the gate slow in a Western conference that is like no other will have you sitting in the basement the rest of the season. So are you going to attack right away? And I don't mean regular season. I mean preseason. Are you going to set the tone for what your regular season is going to be? That's what's going to be important for this basketball team: is a winning mindset and a winning culture. That's what's essential. Playing with that air, with that air of toughness. And so that's what they've got to have. So,
0: get some damn so anger. That's yeah. some damn anger. That, you know, what was, I'm, trying,
1: I'm trying to think. But go ahead, keep
0: talking. About, I'm trying to think. You know, the just, game. That, just that, that that sense of of just competition, like disregarding all the other things that bear essential component of what it takes to be a high level athlete. That you are gonna have to kill me to beat me. Somebody and you, if Zion and Bi don't become those people, because Drew and JJ, no matter what, are short for the time, and neither one of them is going to ever be the best player. They that's not a, so. It has to be Bi or Zion seizing that mantle. You hope it's both at least to have that attitude, because they have to become the tone setters. Mm-hmm. Eventually going forward, if Zion Williamson isn't the tone setter every day because of his physicality, because of his, the focus, the limelight on him, he cannot afford to be along for the ride. He has to right. be a driver. And right. if he doesn't emerge this season as that, that's going to be a significant question. Like you said, if they get off to a bad start, the fan base will once again say, well, why didn't you hire? It's going to be Jason Kidd. It's going to be Ty Lewis. It's going to be, why did you – you know, it's going to be this assistant, that assistant, and let one of those people have a good start. You know what I'm saying? Any one of those coaches that people wanted, let them get off to a good start and the Pelicans get off to a slow start, and you lose a fan base that has already had enough heartbreak.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Dave. And that for Zion – Whether he likes it or not, whether Zion likes it or not, dude, it's got to be your team and it's got to be your voice, but it can't just be your voice. It's also got to be in your work ethic on the court as well, because Dave, we talked about this and people got upset when we said it early on. Remember we said it at, we said it during summer league last year. Remember this yes. about yes. Zion is lazy and he does not get up and down the floor. He is always on cruise control, despite everything else that was going on. The two main things that you and I kept talking about repeatedly was that Zion does not get up and down the floor and he does not play with the level of intensity in an attitude.
0: Not on, def- not on defense. And not on defense. He doesn't box out. He does and not aware of what's going on. And, I, and I, we saw that in the summer league. But you see, people get enamored
1: with him dunking, thinking that athleticism equates to your energy and your effort in working smart and hard. You should never be on cruise control at 19 years old. You should never be trailing a play on defense. You need to be running down shots. You need to be coming from the weak side. You need to be talking. Whether you like it or not, that's part of your responsibility now.
0: Yeah, it just is. And I'll just use this as an indicator, and people can watch this. When you don't block shots at all, and and he's not a – rim protection is not just blocking shots but you did not see any block shots from Zion on a night to night basis I think he finished the regular season with five blocks in 30 games over 30 games so I mean you know at almost 30 games excuse me that's not that's that's not acceptable Mm -hmm. and then his foul rate was incredibly low for somebody who plays in the post which means that he was not bodying up people yep you should see some fouls out of your bigs that because you are the last line of defense. That's where you want to see, you don't want to see reaching out on the perimeter. You don't want to see fouls on jump shooters, but you foul people near the basket to prevent them from getting easy buckets. That's why he you're taking up 56 points a game at the paint.
1: He plays too tentatively. Yes. And that's my knock. And I want to say, I don't want to say knock, but that's my biggest concern with him is that he's just so tentative. He's not decisive on anything that he does. He's never ever intimidating. And that's what gets to me. It's like, you've got this great body and here's the other thing. And I know you agree with it. You got to get in better shape, man. You yes. got to get in better shape because Dave, if after, if after two weeks of being off, you're totally shot. You were never in good shape to begin with. If after two weeks, your body is shot from playing basketball, that means you're not running at all. You're not getting any cardio in at all. If after two weeks, your body is shot when you are 19 years old, hey, we've talked about it before. Bruh, at 18, 19 years old, we could go off of a bag of potato chips and an orange soda all day long and play basketball from one park to the next park. He's we didn't gonna, lose
0: anything. Just, yeah, he's, go, he's going to have to learn what professional fitness is, and this is going to have to be a round-the-clock thing for him as his body develops. And I think it's just it's, it's, it's that simple. I mean, you know, just as Moses Malone told Charles Barkley, get your big ass in shape. There you it, go. You can't be doing this. this. You are a pro now. Get your big ass in shape. And for, at the same thing, Charles was a physical freak. Zion is a physical freak, but that does not mean you can't get yourself into a a better condition, and you can't be having hot dogs on the back of your neck, bro. No, sir. No, sir. I am looking forward to seeing what happens at the draft. I think there will be some trades. There will be some deals because I think people want to get out of this draft. Um, But next week we will have to do a preview of um, what we think the offseason strategy will be for the Pelicans – and preview those areas of need that could, uh, that they need to address in the draft, um, uh, or whether or not they need to get out. So, we'll do that next week. Um, I looked at all the questions, I think we've covered everything within those questions.
1: We covered everything in those questions, but let me ask you let me let's go ahead, go ahead and do our 24 second shot clock, right. real quick. That we do, me with it, all right. Of course, that name always pops up. Why do you think? He can, And of course, you and I have talked about it, but let's refresh people's mind. Why do you think Mark Jackson won't even get an interview no more?
0: Because of his uh, previous uh, actions with Warriors ownership. And that's the biggest thing. It's not about whether he's a competent basketball coach at this point. People do not want to take the chance on his personality. All right.
1: Stan Van Gundy.
0: Why does he have
1: one? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to say Jeff. I'm going to say Jeff. Jeff I'm sorry. I'm going to say Jeff. Jeff Van I'm sorry.
0: I don't think I'm Jeff should Jeff. get a job because he's too rigid at this point. We saw him, and why would you go send that back to Houston of all places? If Houston signs Jeff, and you're going to put that with Russ and James Harden, man, I just don't see that being a match at all because it the, the thing be that toxic.
1: I, it would be toxic. Yes.
0: I so I, as a, as a Knicks fan I loved Jeff Van Gundy. Um because I thought he brought something to the table with that team. He he believed in that group. But with this now I just don't see it. And he's been away so much longer than Stan. That's the thing. Stan two years, you can get back in. 11 12 years? No, nah, bro. I I just don't see it. Hey and that's what I have
1: been saying about Jeff Van Gundy. He's been going away from the game too long. And quite frankly, I thought that was going to be the case with Stan. I thought, you know, because everybody and everything has a shelf life. I thought Stan's shelf life—I thought it was kind of done. Quite frankly, but apparently, the one thing that I have realized every day that goes by, for as much as I know, I don't know a damn thing because some of the decisions that are made is baffling to me as well. All right, honestly, fist Fizdale. <laughs> Fizz? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Honestly, what? I just, no, no, no.
0: Honestly, I I think the best case scenario you're hoping with Stan is that you get what you got out of Hubie Brown when he got to to Memphis. Remember, people thought that was really strange okay. to bring Hubie out of the mothballs because Hubie hadn't coached since. Jeez, Hubie had almost been 20 years when he got came out. Now that's not the same with Stan. Right. But what Hubie did was he was a veteran with a very young team in Memphis. That was Paul Gasol was just. Coming up, you had Mike Bimby, you had those guys. And they won 50 games three straight times with Hubie and turn, mm-hmm. Fratello. They had Mike Fratello and Hubie Brown and went to the playoffs with both of those guys for like four years straight. Yes. And that's the initial yes. tone setting because once Powell went to L.A. and you got Mark back in return, that's the beginning of grind city. But you had a successful team. And I think that's what your best case scenario is in my mind. I don't think the Pelicans become a championship team in the next four years. But I think if you can get to the foundation of you're winning 45, 47, you know, building that Utah-type foundation, a Denver-type foundation in these group, I think that's, that would be, in my mind, the best you hope for out of this.
1: Right. As long as you're seeing growth. Yes. As long as you're seeing growth. All right. Coach Fizz, again, somebody else that you and I respect and, 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 and have the utmost for, Coach
0: Fizz. I think Fizz has been burned because of New York. People are holding New York against him, and he's not hot anymore because of that. And I think it's been hard for him to get interviews, even as an assistant, because as a black assistant, he's not going to go back. And he said this, you are not going to use me as the communicator you ain't going to put me in that position to be the black guy who communicates with the black guys. Mm-hmm. He expects to have responsibilities. He won't, either you're going to make him your mm-hmm. number one assistant or your head coach. That's, the, that, that's it. That's the only options for him. And right. I think, you know, people are also, that's a dude who is not afraid to speak his mind either. And I think not- that rubs folks, the, a, a, a black man who is willing to say what he was on his mind, that rubs some owners the wrong way. They don't want to have that.
1: All right. Nate McMillan.
0: People don't like Nate's discipline either. Nate is a hard dude. Nate is a Nate's old school and people, I think, underestimate him as a coach. I think he's a top seven coach in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And I think Nate is an incredible strategist. He demands toughness.
1: Has a knack, has a knack for coaching up teams and getting
0: the most out of teams Cause you can look at that Indiana team and people say, well, they didn't get out of the first round. Didn't have a healthy team in any of those playoff series. It was missing major components. Depot non-factor two years in a row in the playoffs. Not like essentially. So turn Miles Turner into something. Turn Sabonis into something. You know, people always had an idea of Sabonis when he was at Oklahoma city, but he's thoroughly thriving in Indiana. You know, got a, you take TJ Warren who was a slept-on player in Phoenix, but you turned him into a dang star mm-hmm. in Indiana? You got and they play defense every night. Every don't night turn over yes. the ball, they are they can be both physical and can run. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Nate Nate should be. I don't understand why I would have I would have put Nate ahead of Doc on my list in a heartbeat. If yes, you sir. Talk about if you talk about available coaches, Nate yes, would have been above Lou. He would have been above Doc in my, in my list.
1: You ain't alone there. Eh? I have the utmost respect for Nate McMillan, and you want to talk about again? As I mentioned, getting more out of with less or with average players and having buy-in, Nate has done a fantastic job with that everywhere he has been. So it it, it definitely baffles me that he doesn't. And his name isn't there, you know. But listen, you know, OKC is still open. I could see him in OKC with a Chris
0: Paul. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they they would get along. Yes. They they are the same in mindset. Absolutely.
1: And I was holding that one back without tweeting it because I wanted to mention it here. But I could so see Nate McMillan and CP3 together in Oklahoma City, man. Oh, brother, because they have – they both have that air of toughness about them, bro, and that level of pushing guys, you know. Um, Let's see. Who else did I have? Let me look at this list here. I had – finished up with Nate, called Coach Fizz. Jason Kidd.
0: Jason ain't never getting another job again as a head coach.
1: Right, but tell people why. Because you see, here's the thing about it is that, you know, there are certain things that you and I hold on purpose until we're doing hard in the pain when we go high and low. So we don't give everybody everything because we want to make sure that they're tuning in and that, you know, that, 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 that they understand we're not just giving you conjecture. We're not just giving you our emotions and our feelings. We're giving you facts and information behind why we're saying what we're saying.
0: Yes, because first and foremost, people need to understand that coaching hours are not meritocracies. That's not what this is about. It never has been about that. It's about what an owner wants. And Jason Kidd is a divisive figure in every locker room he's ever been in. Now, that wasn't the case in L.A. because it didn't have to be.
1: Mm-hmm. It didn't
0: have to be. Everybody in L.A. got it when they got came on board what the deal is. You know what I'm saying? Like, It's none of you, nobody on that bench was going to get credit. Frank Vogel has the championship and that's great for him, but he's not, nobody's going to go down in history and be like, man, remember how Frank Vogel led the Lakers to the title? He's not going to get that. It's not, he's not going to get that kind of validation. So being on that coaching staff this year was not about anybody on that staff. There's no threat there, but on a, in a traditional thing, Jason Kidd is a guy who's looking for power. That's who he has been his entire life, going back to him in in college. I was going to say going back to high school. High school, yes. This is a dude who is just determined to any hole, any vacuum of power, any opportunity for him to assert his will. And this is a demonstrated record. He got his first coach at Cal fired and brought in Todd Bozeman. We know that's Cal. He goes to Dallas. He got Jim Clemens fired. And if people don't remember who Jim Clemens was, he was Phil Jackson's yes, Phil Jackson's assistant for a number a- of years and mm-hmm. was back with him with the Lakers. When Phil went to the Lakers, Jim Clemens came to Dallas and you had the Triple J's with Jamal Mashburn, Jim Jackson, Jimmy and, Jason Jackson Kidd.
1: and Jason Kidd. Yeah.
0: And it didn't last a year. It didn't last a year cuz of Jason He's divisive. Kidd. He's divisive. He gives is, is, is throughout his career, he goes to Phoenix, wore out his welcome in Phoenix, wore out his welcome in New Jersey, wore out his welcome in Dallas, cheated on Dallas, told him he was gonna resign with him, leveraged. Oh, yep, yep. Goes to the Knicks, walks out on them because they didn't offer him a coaching job, goes back and keeps playing, goes and turns to Dallas. Then he is a head coach. What does he do? He takes advantage of every opportunity he has to sabotage people <laughs> and move into where the vacated spots. So hey, I don't, don't think there's an owner or a general manager that doesn't think that if you hire Jason Kidd, he won't be after your job or after your power. And that's it. Cut and dry.
1: That's, that's it. Cut and dry. You know, Hey, let me ask you this. What do you think of, of course, it's surprising but we didn't have a chance to talk about this either. What do you think of Dell Demps going from being a GM to back on the bench, which a lot of people may not still know, back on the bench in Utah?
0: I had heard, um, and Alvin had mentioned something before he left, that Dell was thinking about going back into coaching. Um, I, what I wonder is what's the long-term plan for Dell? Because going back and being – do you want to be a career assistant now? Is it a, Are you looking for a path back to a front office? Are you trying to be a head coach in the NBA? That is a strange path to assume if you're trying to be a head coach at his age.
1: Or are you just trying to make sure you got a job and it's around what you know and what you love?
0: Yes. So if, let's if, be honest, if, if it's just you know, I, I mean –
1: Exactly. Because people act like there aren't guys who coach that just want to keep a gig and it's what we love. It's what we know. You know, Dell doesn't have that. And it's not a knock on him. Dell doesn't have that personality to be that head coach. He just doesn't. It's not his personality. Dell's a very quiet kind of guy. He's a very unassuming guy. So to be in that head coach role, you have to have a different acumen about you. So It definitely caught me off guard, you know, because I hadn't heard that. I mean, I know you talked to Alvin directly, but I hadn't heard that, you know. um, But, you know, it was very interesting to me.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to see how it works out and what responsibilities he's given. What what role does he play? Is he just – is he a sounding board for Quinn Snyder because they do have a good relationship? Is he Mm -hmm. that, you know, know, that kind of assistant where it's not – simply about strategy. It's about I need to bounce stuff off of you. You're the guy I trust. And and sometimes that's what the lead assistant is. It's just being the guy that the coach trusts enough to to say the things before he says it to anybody else. Yes. And I think that's that that is Dell is not the guy who's gonna tell your secrets. Dell is not the guy who's gonna be a locker room lawyer. He's not gonna politic. That ain't right that's what I'm saying.
1: Right, it's not his way, yeah.
0: So you bring a man as an assistant, what you are looking for is that type of, you, you are looking for a presentation of stability and calm. That's what you're asking and, for.
1: And that his personality does warrant. Absolutely. You know, you know because we know. Because, because you and I both know being in that tunnel and that locker room uh, and some of the contentiousness that went on back there you had to have a calming demeanor
0: and to take some of the and i, I look people there is enough stuff written and told and known to deride for. but i tell you what that man ate a lot of shit that he didn't oh, have to eat man
1: he did and did his best and
0: kept it in house absolutely Absolutely. there's one day, it, I always say, I used to say one day the story is going to get told. But I don't know who will tell it. Because Alvin ain't that guy. And Dell is not that guy. So. Hey,
1: people have no idea the stuff that we saw and we heard back yes. there underneath
0: that tunnel. But it, for us, it would just be eyewitness account. You need somebody in who's. Like, I want to know what happened in those buildings, because it seems to me, and this will always be the thing that lingers for me when I talk about Del Demps, there is no way in my mind that he could have been empowered to make, He, he was never empowered to make the decisions that David Griffin got.
1: Not at yeah. all. He didn't have close to what David Griffin had. Not even close.
0: Not given the resources in scouting. Not given the resources in player development. Not given the resources in training facilities. Not given the resources in upgrading the practice facility. Not, not given, given the, the total authority decision to, making. Yeah, to to decide which players were on that roster at times. Not given that authority. Dell
1: had to still meet with the front office of Los and, and Mickey. Right, and they are so, not basketball people. Not at all. So he was never given that same privilege that David Griffin came in here with from day one. David Griffin was given, basically, David Griffin was not only was the Brinks truck backed up for him, but David Griffin was given everything warranted that Dell Demps didn't even come close to getting.
0: No. And, and, and you can't tell me that, like, no one can take that out as a factor. And as a driving force behind the decisions, To the questions about the Bensons have never been answered. About what did they really do as owners for all those seasons? Why didn't they give a damn about the franchise until AD threatened to leave? Mm-hmm. That, that is always going to be part of this. Because you can throw Dell under the bus at the end, and fire him. Everybody's like, well, not making the trade is what got him fired. No, that ain't it either. And we had that discussion before. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think when the story is, is, is written, it should be more favorable to Dell Demps. Absolutely. You should not be absolved, but it should be more favorable.
1: It most certainly should be more favorable, even when it came to letting Monty go. Because trust me. It's not something he wanted to do. That was not his choice. It was, was not, not something that Dell Dimps wanted to do. No, sir, it was not. So, you know, as I tell people, there are so many things that go on behind the scenes that they don't have access to that we have and we do. Again, I can't tell people how long he toiled with having to deal with those who was coming to his office Saying they wanted money Gun. and nobody else stepped up, even on his behalf, when he had to make the decision and pull that trigger. Yep, because they literally, they literally let him get run over.
0: Yep, and people have put that on him since then, and that it was that he made that decision, and that it just it was not the case. It just was not the case. And no sir. And then the other part of that being that you know people uh, like one I see this year is. People talk about, well, you know, Christian Wood, the reason he didn't get signed is because they signed Jaleel Okafor. Again, I firmly believe that Alvin wanted Christian Wood back. I firmly believe that. And that decision was not made by Alvin Gentry. That decision was made because the front office wanted <coughs> Nicola Melli. And bringing in Nicola Melley they felt was going to be better than having Christian Wood. And now Christian Wood went out and played, like, one of the best reserves in the league this year. Like, like gangbusters. And would solve the very problem that people talked about of not having a stretch big who could protect the paint. Right. That wasn't on Angelil Hill Oakford's fault, and it wasn't Alvin's fault. That's a front office decision that got made, and it got made, and people keep saying, well, the, the signing of Darius Miller didn't have nothing to do with that. They didn't have to re-sign Darius. People thought, well, that was a contract that they could have flipped. But you kept a dude who did nothing for you and wasn't gonna play even if he had been healthy. Exactly. It had nothing to do with you giving seven million to Nico Melli to come over here and be hot garbage on most nights. Yes, sir. So I mean, those are decisions that you that contributed to the failure of last year. And you got to hold David Griffin accountable. People can keep saying how much they love him, but there's a reason he finished 20-something in the votes for um, executive of the year. Yes. If he had yes. done that great a job, he wouldn't have been finishing that low. And I think that, that he got a lot of gifts. And at this point, you got to look at the course of his career, and LeBron was a gift in Cleveland. Getting these number one picks of gifts – Getting that trade with the Lakers and having these guys pan out is a gift. Those are not things he could have predicted. Those are not things that he that mm-hmm. he The trade was going to happen no matter what. And there were only two options. Right? <laughs> and basically, after the lottery, there was one. Absolutely. It was the Lakers of nowhere. So it's not even, again, like he had, he played uh, the best thing to get the picks. That's the best thing he did was get the picks out of the mm-hmm. league. The rest of it, if you were, if if he had cut bait with Alvin before the season, we'd be in a different position. If and it is, again, I hate you know you nobody will see people get fired. But if he had cut bait with Alvin, you don't lose a year on your progress because you don't have to fire a guy and start all over again. You would have done it from year one, and then on yes. top. And then on top of that, I think the two other decisions, you never go get a wing defender. You keep waiting on Kenrich Williams to become something that he is not. And that's going to be exactly, big. big.
1: Exactly. And that was the thing that kept amazing me. I'm like, you're hoping and wishing somebody becomes
0: something that they aren't. They're not. And he never will be. He should not. Like, Kenrich shouldn't even be on an NBA roster. <laughs> What team would he play for? The dude missed, like, he made, like, one three in his last 15 <laughs> games or something. Can't yeah, score, bro. can't defend, can't rebound, can't do nothing. No, I'm sorry. Let him go. Let him go.
1: You got to move from it. You got to move from it.
0: Brother, we going to do this again next Thursday, and we going to chop it up, and there's gonna, like I said, we going to cover a lot more stuff, and this offseason is going to be, it's short. Yeah, it's very about, short. Two months. Three months. We'll be back in January doing this again. Yeah. a new season, so um, there's a lot to talk about, and we're going we're gonna to chop it up here on High and Low, man.
1: You best believe it is what we do every Thursday, High and Low on Hard in the
0: Paint. So for Dino, the Dean Hansen, I am David Grubb, and this has been another edition of Hard in the Paint. I'll talk to you all tomorrow. Peace.